Right? There's sometimes when um, darkness seems to linger. The night seems much longer than we would hope. Uh, the waiting, like we've run out of time, but what is still called for us to do is still to wait. And so I'm just profoundly hit by that because I think you're going to see maybe in the sermon, and we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, seasons, right? We say Merry Christmas. Sometimes maybe we can fake it, hoping we might make it. But maybe sometimes the, the, the seasons don't align and it comes to the holiday season and you just don't have that cheer you should have. And if that's where you are, I want to welcome you specifically because you're right where I am. So the rest of you who, who don't have to fake it at the moment, please help us through these next couple weeks, all right? You can participate. I'm going to grab one of you out of the audience here shortly, so get ready for that, all right? Yes. Okay, so if I'm asking a question today, I actually am allowing for a response. Is that all right? There we go. All right. So come. Come on up if you want to take over the sermon from here on out. Um, No, just kidding. Right, but we are in this sermon series of come, right? And as I was thinking about this and praying about it, right, there is a dualism, if you will, to the come, right? We can't come to someone who didn't first come to us, right? So we celebrate that coming of Jesus. We do this every year, this babe in a manger, God in the flesh who came. And then the call is for us to respond. How are we going to respond to his coming? Will we come? Will we meet him? Will we meet him on wherever he is in the road, either as a babe in a manger or as a grown man who's walking to Calvary's sequoia. Where God took on flesh and came so we can come. We come to a door even if we don't understand it. We come to a door even if we're not honestly in a place of adoration. And so I believe the, uh, the sermon uh, verses will be in version. Um, they should be there for you. So if you want to check that out, you can do that. Um, but as I, as I thought about this, right, so we buy Christmas presents, or sometimes Santa delivers Christmas presents. Have you ever bought a, a present and then realized you didn't read, like, everything on the, the, the label when you bought it? So maybe you, you were Christmas Eve at 1 o'clock in the morning on the 25th, putting something together and realized batteries were not included. What kind of batteries? Triple A, double A? I'm like, I don't have any extra. What game do I have in the closet that has a buzzer that had those ones? And are there any juice left? Can I steal them out of there, put in the kid's present? Yeah. Right? You have the present. It's there. Ah, the batteries. Or what about this lovely um, reminder? Some assembly required. Right? And then, you know, you're putting this together because, you know, you want your wife to see it in the morning or a kid or whatever, and you open the box, and like four things are put together and 28 pieces there at 1 o'clock in the morning. And then you put it together, and there's like three screws left over in two parts, but it seems to work, and you're like, eh, I'm going to bed. It's 4 o'clock, right? Or like you saw that, or maybe like yours actually said assembly required. <laughs> you're like, why? Here you go. It, you still have the present. Here you go, kid. Enjoy your... Uh, 
building time, right? So, but sometimes, right, you get the present. You have the gift. But the reality is there, there might still be some elements to that gift that have to be worked out. And that is our sermon for today. And this idea of come. The, the scripture we're going to look at today, there's really like about five verses. But to set it up, it's out of Matthew chapter 11. And if, you were, if we were to start from verse 1 in chapter 11, there's this uh, very interesting interlude between John the Baptist's disciples and Jesus. See, the chapter starts out with John the Baptist in prison, right? The forerunner to the Messiah, the one who was the advertisement for the king to come, right? He was out proclaiming, you know, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, and then Jesus came and Christmas was here. And his faithfulness led him in jail, knowing that his life was about to be over. And he sends some of his disciples, hey, Surely this can't be the end of me. Go find out, like, really, this is the guy, right? And they come to Jesus. Are you, tell us, are you the one? And he's like, really? John's asking? My cousin? We met in the womb. So he says, well, go, go tell John this. The, the blind hear. No, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are healed. The kingdom's coming. It's preaching. We've been doing this. Go tell him this is happening. And he goes and tells him. And and implied in that was, and oh, John, by the way, I know your expectation and your experience aren't measuring up to what you want. But the kingdom has come. And you have a difficulty that's going to face you. And then he he talks to those. He's like, "What, what did you guys come here to see? I mean... John came neither neither eating nor drinking, and you say he's crazy. I came, and I had a drink and something to eat, and you call me a glutton. But wisdom is proved right by her action. Truth prevails. You guys are so fickle. You're like children in the marketplace that say, sing a song, sing a song for us, but yet you don't join in. Play the music, play the music, but you don't dance. So you're so fickle like children. Then he turns his attention to the next section. He's like, you know, I went through your towns. I did all of these things in public, but you're not turning to me. In fact, actually, had these things been done to some of these ancient cities that God destroyed, like Sodom? If Sodom would have seen what you did, they would have repented. But you. And then he turns to this. He turns to a prayer. And I'll tell you, when you look through the Gospels, there's only a handful of times that we see prayers of Jesus. And this prayer is very insightful. So he, he's, he's addressing the crowd, and for whatever reason, he stops in the midst of a public setting and prays to his Father who is in heaven. And he says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you... You have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, this was your good pleasure. This is what you were pleased to do. And he gives them praise. You you hid these things and you revealed these things for your good pleasure. Well, what is he talking about? And as I looked at that, this idea, the idea of hidden, and, and we can't miss in this, that this prayer, um, it, it talks about the, the revelation of Jesus. It talks about his sovereignty. 
the, the sovereignty of God. And that should bring us comfort. That as he prays, he's like, God, Lord, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are sovereign. So everything that you do is right. But yet you've hidden these things. What does that mean? Because this is a man, Jesus, who did everything in public. Right? You would see that as the week that his life was on trial, he said, hey, what did I do in secret? I was always in public teaching these things. I haven't said anything in secret. But what's hidden? He went through these towns, preaching the kingdom, healing, proclaiming in public, but hidden. Hidden because the heart of the people who were viewing it were hard and hardened and not coming to him. So even though they saw it was hidden, or it was, they were not able to see fully what God, what God was doing in Christ. And God hid. God hid those things from them because he knew their heart. He said, but yet you revealed to little children. And this isn't about age in this circumstance. This means that they, there were people who were humbly seeking the kingdom of God, and they understood it, and then they started to grow and learn more. And this brought you pleasure. And this is his prayer as he gets into this next section. That the plan and redemptive work of Jesus is being revealed through the Son. And the sovereignty of God should be a source of comfort. Especially to those who are seeing what's being revealed and are believing with a simple childlike faith. And so he starts out this section with this prayer. Then he moves into a declaration. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he prays and he he acknowledges the sovereignty of the Father, and now he's making a profound declaration that the Son is intimately connected to the Father. In fact, intimately connected so much that the Father and the Son are one. And so he's declaring out loud, you know what, if you thought John had a question, let me answer it here. Yes, I am the one. I am the very Son of God. I am, I am God in the flesh, as John would say, right? Incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. And I know the Father deeply, and the Father knows me. There's nothing we don't share together. And... Because you're believing, little children, I'm revealing it to you. The insider knowledge that the Son had of the Father and vice versa is being revealed to those who say, I will. And that's profound. Profound, especially in the setting where where these people who were rejecting them. Jesus came through some of these towns time after time, did amazing things, and at best they were entertained. And he's like, really? Really? You know me, and you won't come to me. Yet Sodom, in all of her, if they saw one of these things, they would have come. And so he's, he's revealing as much as he is, kind of just carrying on this, this weight of judgment, if you will. But in this verse here, It's very clear he has the right. He has the full right of heaven to say what he wants to say and do what he wants to do because he is God in the flesh 
and he is intimately connected to the Father. And I look at this, what I see, where I see the hope is I see the hope in the, this idea of revelation, right? He, he reveals it to those honest seekers. He continues to reveal more and more of himself. And as he reveals more and more of himself, Jesus, he also reveals the Father. Because if you have seen the Son, then you have seen the Father. And that's one of the things I love periodically through the year to go and, and study, like in the Gospels, and, and, and I think I've mentioned this throughout the year, right, Christology, because the more and more I understand Jesus, the more and more I understand who God is. And all those verses come back to my mind. It says that things like, um, you know, that, that Jesus, you know, dwelled, you know, was God in the, dwelling in the flesh. Or God was, was, um, was happy to have himself dwell in his son out of Colossians. And all of these verses that show that the Son was God on display. God in the flesh. And so he came and he, and he went everywhere he could go and said, Look, here I am. God in the flesh. Let me show you who God is. And some responded, but a lot of the time didn't. And so he makes this, this profound declaration. Because now he has the right to do what God has to do. And I think of that verse in John 14, 6, it says that no one comes to the Father through the, except through the Son. And then he makes this invitation. This invitation that stands on that declaration that is born out of prayer praise. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's the invitation for today. Come. Come, all. Not come just select. Not just come you who are the elite. Come all. The invitation is for all. The sad reality is not all will come. He says, come, all, public invitation, all you who are weary, like tired as all get out from just a long, long journey. We're coming home from, from thanks, actually we went to Reno for Thanksgiving and came back. It took us nine hours when it should have taken us four and a half to get there and seven hours to get back. And I told you when I got out of the car when we got home, like, I don't want to get into the car again. Like I was just so weary just from driving. But that's what he's saying here. This idea of weary is just this journey has just been going on and on. The season lingers and lingers. When will it turn? And you grow weary. And then burden. This idea of burden of, of, of carrying more than we should carry. And, and this very specific, what he's, what he's saying here, and also when we'll look at it in a minute, of what he's not saying. For we do find rest, we do find relief coming to Jesus. But it's more so out of the backdrop of coming to him versus not working or walking through a human religious experience of trying to earn. Trying to follow the rules. Because that's what these people were being told they had to do. And they couldn't do it. As much as they might have tried, they were so burdened by what was being heaped on them by the religious leaders at the time. 
You know, two chapters earlier in Matthew 9, Jesus made this declaration. And when he saw the people, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because the shepherds should have been doing something about this instead of adding to it. Jesus would say it this way. Later on in Matthew 23, Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do what they tell you to do. But don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, and they're not willing to lift their pinky to help them out. And so that's the situation these people are living in, and they're so desperate for somebody to get this monkey off their back. Eric Raw, come on up. Come on. I told you people are coming up today. All the way up. Come on. You have young life background. You know something's going to happen. All right. Turn around here. Face the crowd. Let me see uh, your right arm. There we go. All right. Put that on there. Let me see your left arm. I know. Come on. You're bendy. Come on. There we go. All right. Stand over there for a minute. There we go. Is that good? How you doing? This is, this is Eric Ra. Um, yeah. Is that, is that good back there? Sorry. Right. Feels pretty good. Two kids. Uh, see, I should have picked somebody else. Who here has never had a child? No, just kidding. Right? But um, yeah, so tell me, what's, how's that feel on your back? Um, I mean, it's heavy. It's heavy, right? It's pulling me back. It's pulling me back. What do you get to just live life with that on your back the whole time? 30 pounds extra, 40 pounds back there. It'd be bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> right? But this, this is what was taking place. Not only were they getting relief, they were getting more and more heaped on here, right? And so what Jesus says is, look, I've, I've come to, to give you rest, right? I've come to, to, take, to take the burden of you trying to do this on your own. Does that feel different? Whoa. Way lighter. Way lighter, right? So you could probably get through life with that on your back, probably? Yes. Yeah? All right. All right. So uh, thank you for being my guinea pig. There we go. But see, the, the, the reality with it is, is there's still some weight in this pack. John would write this. In fact, the love of God is to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. So you're like, wait a minute. It feels like a burden. So how can it not be a burden? But he came to give me rest, but yet I'm still carrying something. And I think sometimes this is where we have the misnomer of this, of this promise in the scripture is that um, we don't understand what he's actually saying. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will take everything off your back, and you will no longer have problems in life. Has anybody ever read this scripture and wanted to read that? Raise your hand. Anybody? Because that's me right now. Well, a lot of you are smarter than I thought. Sometimes that's how I want to read it. I want to read it like, no, take everything off my back. Take every, everything. 
And he says, no, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, even though you still have to carry a load. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does that mean? When we look at this scripture, there's a couple of things. One is, we are yoked to him. He's partnering with us. When we say, I do to Jesus, he is with us through thick and thin, and he shoulders the load. But in the training and the working environment in, that these two oxes would have yoked together, we still work with him. And sometimes there's work that we like, and sometimes there's work that we don't like. Sometimes there are challenges that we, I guess, would invite more over challenges that we would rather not have come our way. But he says, take my yoke upon you. So you don't have to earn it. It's given to you freely. You don't have to live up to anything because you could never. But he did all those things for us. He says, but now still join in with me in discipleship in following me, in walking with me, in working with me, because there is still work to be done. And when those seasons come, when it gets a little bit heavier, know that I'm carrying a bigger load than you are. And sometimes, sometimes in the midst of that, I'll be honest, I doubt it. So we have talks of faith. We have talks of growing. Him and I yoked side by side, and we're walking. I'm like, hey, this is getting heavier. He's like, yeah, you think it's heavy for you. You should see my shoulders. And I'll have to sometimes stop and just stare and just, no, you got this. You got this in the midst of the storm. That's why you can sleep on the pillow, and I'm freaking out because I see the waves. That's why he says in Psalm 23, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. We go back a couple months to storytelling when I shared that. I do not leave you alone and abandoned. I am with you. This has been a very difficult season for me the last three or four months. I'm still working through um, parents that have moved, and Christmas is coming, and we have, we have no tradition left that I had for the first 50 years of life. Haven't figured it out yet. I'm still working through the death of Miguel. I'm still working through the death of my sister-in-law. I'm still working through the being frustrated about my home being burglarized and being ripped off the week after both of those memorial services. I've been dealing with a health issue. And there are other things I can't talk about that I'm not at liberty to say. It's been level 10 stress, code 3, DEFCON 1, for about five months. But yet I come to this. There's got to be some reason then, God. What is going on? And trust me, I'm not taking on more than I want to. I'm trying to offload. But it makes me stop and stare at who I'm connected to. And we have some very deep, frank conversations. I'm not unyoking. I'm not leaving. I'm not going away from him. But we talk, which is part of discipleship. 
If you go back, uh, was it last year, right? We went through the 36 weeks. We spent a six-week chunk on prayer, which is conversation with God. We sent, spent a six-week chunk on the Word, which is being in the Word, which is Him talking to us from what He wrote. But at the end of that, I know that I'm not trying to earn anything from Him. I'm not in timeout and punishment. When Jesus spoke what we call the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, he says, here's the deal. There's two sets of people. They both heard my words. One put it into practice. And it was like building your house upon a rock. This other group of people heard my words and did nothing with it and built their life as they wanted. And the storm came to both of them. The one stood, though shaken, and the one was utterly destroyed. He says this. Receive what I have to offer. You can't earn it like the Pharisees were telling people they had to do. And then he says, here's what's required. And oh, by the way, I'm going to do it for you. It's called a cross. So I, I, I bore a burden you will never understand. And I made your load so light. And I think back of Jesus. When he said these words, he had not yet been falsely accused, trumped up charges, beaten, crucified, betrayed, blindsided by his friends. So if he's the one that gives the invitation to come and find rest, though there's still work to be done, and he had all of those things still yet to experience. And he shouldered that load. He can shoulder my load. He can shoulder your load. It doesn't fully take away the things that come, because those things that come are what refine us and give glory to God. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it is a promise. He is pleased. He is pleased to call you his son and his daughter because you said yes. You don't have to earn anything. You couldn't live up to it, period. That's the rest that comes. But we're yoked with him. And so I sit here and I think about that. Okay, God, like what? Like, and I get that and it brings me comfort. And then just personally, right? I, I go to some of my go-to scriptures that, that, that bring a little bit more life, a kind of a pick-me-up. Like Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I come to something like that, and there's rest. Well, 1 Peter 5, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then it talks about being self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around. When we're in these battle situations, the enemy is when he wants to take us out. But God says, no, stand firm. Or first, we're uh, James. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. And then it talks about repentance. And then one of my favorite uh, promises, kind of like reading that label on the gift that you realize the batteries still need to be bought. There's some assembly required on the night that he was going to be betrayed. And John says this, I've told you these things. Right? He was honest with them about how things work, especially that night. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. See, in this world you will have trouble. There's the warning label. You will. You will have trouble. There's no escaping it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's where I go. Take heart. Yeah, the waves are big and the storm is raging. But if he can sleep on the pillow, in the boat, in the storm, and we're connected to each other, then I guess it's just time to rest. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the encouragement that you bring. I thank you for your scripture. God, I thank you for the fact that you came. That even still in our growing and in our maturation process, you continue to teach. God, I pray that our hearts are still open and moldable and pliable to you to train us. And I think of something I think we covered in Hebrews earlier this year that that you know. You know the things that we go through, yet you are without sin, but you can sympathize with our weakness. And God, I would pray not only for myself, but for all who are in this room that are going through a season. And God, maybe they're like me are desiring for the page to turn, the calendar to flip, the season to be over. And it's going longer than we expected. But I look to my side and you're still there. And I find rest. I find comfort. I find assurance. And I pray that same thing for my brothers and sisters here. For you are pleased. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.